Thank you for joining us here at Emissions Reduction Alberta's Carbon Copy. In the spirit of reconciliation, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that we have the privilege of living, working and investing on in behalf of the province of Alberta on the traditional territories which include Treaty 6, Treaty 7 and Treaty 8 nations. Métis nations, regions 3 and 4, Inuit and all others who live and care for these lands. My name is Isabella and I'm the Manager of Strategic Initiatives and Programs at Emissions Reduction Alberta, part of ERA's strategy and performance team. Today I have the lovely opportunity to sit down with three amazing leaders, each of whom are meaningfully contributing to the energy system transformation. So much so that all three were profiled in Pembina Institute's and Globe Series Women in Energy Transformation Series, which, for those who are unfamiliar, is a national dialogue celebrating women who are advancing Canada's transition to a clean economy. According to the World Economic Forum 2022 Global Gender Gap Report, even though North America is the most advanced region when it comes to closing the gender gap and achieving gender parity, researchers estimate it will still take 59 years to close this gap. The report also mentions that while some industries have reached near gender parity, in leadership roles globally, others, such as the energy industry, is only seeing 20% of women hired into these leadership roles. Today's discussion will focus on how each of these leaders came to be involved in their roles, some of the barriers that exist for women, and solutions to enhance participation and leadership as we work to reach net zero targets by 2050. And with that, I will pass it along to each of our panelists to introduce themselves, starting with Vanessa. Thank you, Isabella. My name is Vanessa White. I am the Director of Renewable and Alternative Energy at Alberta Innovates, and I am the mother of two wonderful young teenage boys. Thanks, Isabella, for that great introduction. Uh, my name is Heather Stevens. I am the Chief Operating Officer of Emissions Reduction Alberta. I've had the luxury of being with the organization since inception in 2009 and growing it to what is now almost a billion dollars of funding. I am the mother of two teenage daughters who I know are relying on our commitment to the energy transition, so I'm grateful for the opportunity to have the discussion today. Thanks, Isabella, and uh, thank you, esteemed panelists, for, for the introduction. My name is Anna Maria Radu, and I'm a senior manager at TC Energy, also a proud mother of three daughters, and uh, have an equally you know, vested interest in getting the energy transition right for, uh, for the future generations. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you all for that wonderful introduction. So we have illustrious leaders with us and as you all know, women are currently underrepresented both as workers and leaders uh, in the energy transition, in the energy economy and in other industries that will help us make net zero a reality. Can you tell me why you chose to get involved in clean tech and why this industry is important to you? start with you, Vanessa. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Isabella. Um, you know, what I find is actually women are most underrepresented in more traditional energy industries and that what I find in the the clean energy industry is that we actually have slightly better representation still substantially underrepresented but I think that there's this draw into the clean energy sector where women can feel like instead of just being a sailor on the ship that they can actually be the captain of their own yacht and that I think there's so many more opportunities in clean energy than there is in more traditional energy. And that's why you're starting to see this bit of a uh, larger representation of women in, in the clean energy space. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think um, 
for me, I came in a non-technical background. I'm an accountant, so I came with my skills as a chartered professional accountant. And what I would say is for me, there is this um, desire and attraction to a mandate of an organization to feel like I'm, I'm making a difference. And, and I think you see that in the, in the clean tech sector where you, you, your impact is very obvious. Um, and, and so I, I find that's very attractive. And, and what, what I would say is um, clean tech needs everybody. It's not going to just need technical experts. It's going to need everybody across the board. And what you need is passion and you need to be excited and you need to have this commitment and drive. Um, but we're, you know, there's no one size fits all for, for who looks and feels like clean tech. So come. <laughs> join us. <laughs> I liked being a captain of a yacht. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the nexus for me, the nexus I have with uh, clean tech is uh, via climate policy, which uh, happens to, to be my passion. I was privileged enough to be able to pursue uh, my um, graduate education here in Canada, University of Calgary, um, and while you know working on my energy, um, natural resources, and environmental law uh, master's degree, I was inspired by some uh, wonderful individuals, um, and was always fascinated by how you know policy and um, could be the driver behind energy transition and could mobilize not only financial markets but also you know the corporate entities the society as a whole to enact on, on energy transition um, so after a short period of time in, in academia I realized that if I wanted to make a difference um, I had to step into the energy sector and um, uh, you know, energy is, is vital to everything we're doing. Energy um, is a key vehicle in addressing climate action, uh, which is what brought me to TC Energy. And, you know, uh, fast forward uh, 10 years into my career to be able to work at an organization that puts equal uh, importance on climate policy, on investments in clean tech, um, in positioning for energy transition, in responding to the societal needs. That's very powerful and, and, and very inspirational to me and I, I feel uh, definitely privileged to, to be where I am today and I completely agree with, uh, with Heather and Vanessa. We need uh, all hands on deck. We need everyone at the table um, and uh, I think, you know, I. Uh, Part of our mandate is to encourage that participation, diverse participation. Energy transition is going to require that creativity and diversity at the table. And so each of you are in uh, different roles uh, in the energy transition space, um, from policy to finance to operations to technical space. What would you like to see um, in a successful energy transition? What does it look like to you and how do you envision your teams um, working towards that? Awesome, great question. Um, for me, ener successful energy transition is really around taking the resources that we have, whether they're the renewables or the non-renewables, and getting the, the most benefit out of them, right? And so it's around finding the, the right diverse energy mix and, and getting a positioning, positioning ourselves for sustainability 
through making the best use of each of the materials that we have. And so where that is, is we're looking to grow, I think, as a society in terms of science and medicine. And so what materials do we need? What energy do we need? How can we have those energy resources to be able to support the lifestyle that we want for society? on a whole, and then finding the right source that fits with those needs. And so when we look at it overall, it's really around that balance and that diversity of having the right fit for the right piece. And uh, this is where my engineering background and my Star Trek nerd is. You know, just imagine 23rd century Star Trek, and, and that for me is, is really where I, I would love to see our energy transition move towards. I love it. I, I don't know that I have the right vision of Star Trek that, that maybe you do, but I, I love it. <laughs> um, I, I totally agree. And when you, when you think about those resources and then what, what's the backbone that we're going to need to be able to make that happen. And, and for me, when I think about what, what we want is healthier, stronger, more resilient communities. We want an engaged workforce that is innovative and adaptable. And I think underpinning all of that really is that organizations need to embed innovation, sustainability practices all the way through their organization. They need it in their processes. They need it in their policies. They need it in their um, human resource activities. They need it in their governance structure. And, and once those companies have that embedded, it's, it's just a, a part of what we do. It becomes the fabric of our organizations. Then these things are possible. You can take those resources. You can you can get the most out of them. You can get the most out of your people. They feel valued and engaged. And um, I think the excitement comes when companies are, are really firing on all cylinders and, and embedded all in. So um, I hope that's the the future I I, I see before I'm finished <laughs> before I hang up my uh, abacus on the wall. <laughs> Um, I'm going to focus a little bit on the way we transition rather than the objective, which, uh, by the way, it's a bit of a moving target, right? As we develop these solutions, uh, whether they're technological um, or financial um, uh, mechanisms, uh, you name it. The objective is to get to net zero. Uh, however, the energy mix, uh, the portfolio of solutions may look different than what we envision today. So this is why I would like to put a little bit of an emphasis on the way we transition to net zero. It is important and uh, certainly I'm very encouraged to see that the policymakers, governments, uh, corporate entities, they all come together and um, they start crafting all these goals and, and aspirations. But as we move on to implementation and discovering those solutions, I think it's important uh, to remain uh, collaborative, uh, to ensure we're not um, locking ourselves in a corner, that we're not eliminating um, you know, any opportunities, that we are not leaving anyone behind, that we're inclusive, that we uh, invite opinions from all the stakeholders. Um, and also making sure we balance some key priorities, energy security, uh, affordability, reliability um, of our energy sources is, is vital in order to enable that growth and successful transition. 
And if I can just pick up on, on that, I, I totally agree with you. And I think what we don't want is unintended consequences of disproportionate impact to jurisdictions that have contributed the least to climate change. And, and part of that, you know, I always say we're not solving Alberta's problem. We're not solving even Canada's problem. It's a global problem. And, and I think breaking down those barriers and knowledge sharing, making sure that we're telling the stories widely that... Um, technologies are shared amongst jurisdictions and and we're, and we're seeing that a lot already happening with you know net zero alliance and and people realizing let's let's not keep this to ourselves it's this has to be shared and shout from the rooftop when you find a great solution because it's not one solution it's not one silver bullet it's going to need everything back to all hands on deck it needs all technologies on deck too so yeah, and I'd love to pull in another thread of, of Anna's comments, and, and that's around the no one left behind, right? It's around the, we need to make sure that we've got the systems in place to help upskill or reskill, um, you know, the, the staff that are in some of these more traditional energy industries as they move into a cleaner energy industry so that those individuals can continue to be contributors, right, moving forward. And so I think that that's the other piece that we really have to focus on that, you know, while there's a lot of effort that we're putting into technology, there really needs to be that same effort in terms of, of the human side of the, the resource pyramid, right? And I would like to touch on the all-hands-on-deck approach. The energy transition is an all-hands-on-deck approach. We want to make sure we're not leaving everyone be anyone behind. However, there are barriers to um, transitioning for some communities. There are barriers to participation um, of some communities in the energy transition. And, you know, coming back to um, the focus of why we're here today and showcasing um, wonderful women leaders like yourselves. The Pembina Institute released a report in 2021, um, Women in Alberta's Energy Transition Report, that stated there are five barriers that they found um, for women to participate uh, and to lead in some of these um, positions. A lack of access to opportunity, lack of good jobs, inability to advance, an income gap, and industry culture. Is there anything that any of you have faced in your careers, um, you know, moving to where you are today, and do you still see this as, as a problem, one or more of these, um, these challenges? From where I see, you know, much of my career was in the traditional energy industry. I spent over 20 years in, in oil and gas before moving over to the clean tech industry. And, and, uh, and I guess that's where I, I look at it now is, you know, there were a lot more barriers in that environment than what I'm seeing in, in the clean energy space. And, um, but even through all of that, the, the number one piece of... Uh, the puzzle for me in terms of my success in, in that industry and, and my success today is around the fact of having that partner or that support network that allows you to really, really succeed when you need to. And, you know, I'm incredibly fortunate, uh, my husband of 28 years, we've been partners in this journey together. And, you know, at times where my career needed, needed more energy, more emphasis, um, you know, he took that balance. He stepped back a little bit. He spent more time taking, you know, responsibility for the, the home and, and the, the more personal side of things to allow me to take those steps in my career, right? And, um, you know, I, 
I, I appreciate how fortunate I am in that. I don't believe that everyone has that opportunity to have that partner, but um, the underlying pieces is finding that support. And that, that I think is one of the biggest barriers for women to succeed is that that support network needs to be there. Yeah, and I love that. The, the home personal support network is fundamental. I would say, for me, um, what was pivotal, pivotal was the, the, the support and flexibility I got from my leaders. And so I, I've actually spent a very long career never working for a female, but I have had incredible male leaders that have been champions, um, flexibility, and understanding the value that I could bring to a team, but understanding that my priorities changed. So I had children um, at that time when they were young. I had to shift my focus and I wanted to shift my focus to spend a bit more time at home. And I decided to take a step back. I, I worked 50% time when my kids were little, but I had a leader that understood that this was a long, he was in the long game. This was a long-term relationship that he could get more value out of me probably in my 50% than he would if I showed up every day and was worried about what was happening at home. And so I think, you know, what we need to do is normalize this. What I don't want this to be is that that's just my story. I want this to be pervasive in organizations that we think about adaptability and flexibility and investment in our teams for the long run. Even if it's they're not going to be your team member forever, you're investing in industry and in making sure that women are successful leaders in the long run. And it's a win-win scenario. Employers get happier, more productive and loyal employees and employees get to feel valued and secure and they get to feel like there isn't this guilt and tension constantly of a decision to make about where they ought to be and when. And um, that's not everyone's story. Not everybody wants to, to, to maybe take a step back in the way that I did. But what I want to do is make sure that this becomes a, a conversation that's always open and um, transparent. I think unconscious bias exists everywhere. We just had a great session last week with someone telling us of the 17 different unconscious biases there are. And so what I think is most important is just talking about it openly. It's hard conversations. It's okay to say we didn't quite get this right or we're not going to say the right things or do the right things, but showing up, being authentic and having the conversations I think go a long way for people to see something else is possible. So. Yeah, I, I would like to add to that uh, yet another layer of, of complexity from my personal experience. Um, so I started my career here in Canada in a new country. Um, well, everything was uh, very overwhelming. Uh, I was also raising twin, uh, my twin daughters at, at the time. And um, that was difficult. But that also gave me um, a degree of resilience and a sense of motivation. Um, that helped me push through those barriers. Um, and you're absolutely right, like under-representation is and was probably 10 years ago even more evident in those rooms, in the meetings, meeting rooms when you're looking around and you're the only woman um, yet alone or someone with an accent in, in the room. So that, um, to me, um, pushed me to, to be, you know, extra uh, self-aware um, shyer maybe than I um, I should have been but I also realized that in order to um, 
maybe break that unconscious bias, I had to open up a little bit more, to put myself, push myself outside of my comfort zone, to speak uh, my mind, to offer opinions. And um, I was encouraged by uh, some extraordinary leaders uh, to do so. Um, so when it comes to breaking those barriers, going back to your question, Isabella, I think um, we need to differentiate between the organizational barriers that, that exist in, in the industry or in any um, organization for that matter, and personal barriers. I think women are very hard on the, themselves. We tend to raise our own barriers. We um, were caregivers. We love to uh, devote our time and attention to family, and that's a great thing. Um, but that puts extra pressure on, on us. So we just have to be mindful, uh, take the time to self-reflect, and uh, be comfortable enough to ask for that, um, to take a step back, right, at work, to ask for that uh, flexibility. Um, and recognize when you're, you're pushing the limits. Um, now, from an or organizational standpoint, I think we need to be more purposeful in, um, in, our, in setting our goals. Like, for instance, TC Energy has committed to have at least 40% of a leader, a leader position in our corporate uh, locations be filled by, by women. I think it's great. Um, and we have a, an inclusion and diversity action plan and a, a pathway to reach our goal. So I think that's great. I think it sets an example. It's extremely motivating for, for, for people. Um, but it's also about creating a culture uh, within the organization, ensuring that you have a safe space where you can um, challenge the unconscious bias, where you can have those difficult conversations, where you feel comfortable to request that flexibility. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a package, right? Um, and actions on multiple fronts are, are required to um, eliminate those barriers. And then for the person who may be subject to that unconscious bias, I would offer um, don't be afraid to open up a conversation. Don't be afraid to ask for feedback. It's a great window to kind of break that glass ceiling and turn those negative perceptions into something that's positive um, and uh, that would eventually um, you know, help you and, and um, the counterparts go over um, the unconscious bias. Yeah, I totally agree and I would say um it's also a responsibility of existing female leaders to tell their stories, to tell personal stories about where they were and, and, and where they are now so that people can see themselves, they can understand, oh gosh, they're dealing with the same things I'm dealing with. Um, maybe we just hide it better or we get used to, to putting it off, but it's important that they see themselves, that they feel the same way uh, they feel validated in a way because I think that was missing. I, I started a little longer than 10 years ago, it was 25 years ago, and, and it was a different workforce. It was a workforce where I didn't see myself in the leaders ahead of me, and it was hard. You, you had to look for other avenues to get that validation that you weren't insane, <laughs> that, that people felt the same way that you did in the workforce, and I think that's really, really important for us to, as female leaders, to, to show up for others in our organization, to have those conversations start them because it's hard it's hard when you're starting out you think 
oh gosh, you know, what's the next opportunity or I have to, I have to be perfect or I have to be um, on all the time. And, and that's just not the reality. And, and you only get that with experience and with realizing there'll be something else. There will be other opportunities. Be kind to ourselves. Be patient with ourselves. But that's, that's hard to do sometimes. So, yeah, You had a couple of great... Um great comments in there, Heather, that, that I'd love to, to address. And, you know, the first one around having uh, male leaders for your entire career, right? And, and I've been in that same situation, right? I've only now am in a position where I have a, a female leader. And, and what, a, what a change, but not saying anything negative against the male leaders that I've had. They, did, they had helped me progress throughout my career, and they've been incredibly supportive. But there is a difference in terms of seeing that woman the, the next step ahead of you and having someone who's been in your shoes helping pull you up. Um, but yeah, when you, when you think about the, the opportunities or the, the kind of support networks that, that I think anyone entering uh, the energy industry or probably any industry, a, a woman entering in those industries, you know, they really need kind of, I, when I look at it, three tiers of support, right? The first one is that supportive network of your peers, the people you can talk to, you can be vulnerable with, you can have those conversations with. Um, you then need that next level, which are those mentors. Who are those people you can look up to who can help guide you in terms of of how to progress, what are your opportunities, help you see a bit different perspective. And then you ultimately need those sponsors, those individuals who are really going to stand up for you and say, this is a person that we need to find that opportunity, move them forward, move their career, really help them excel. And so if you can have those three, um, you know, you're, you're well set for, for that progress. And, and unfortunately, I think it's harder for women to, to find, we're really good at finding that support network with our peers. Ne not necessarily as good at being able to find those mentors and those sponsors. And so those, I think, are, are some of the big gaps that we need to really look at. I'd like to build on that, Vanessa. I think you made some, some really great comments in there. Um, the foundation upon which we build those three tiers, and you, you touched on this earlier, is our, you know, the family, the support you get from friends and family, uh, personal life. It's so important to have that balance between personal life and work life. Uh, only when those two work in balance, we can be you know, the best, best of ourselves in, in, um, at work and at home. Um, and the other thing I would like to, to build on was your comment around, uh, you know, women not um, maybe being as great at self-promoting. Uh, I think this is where, uh, again, speaking from personal experience, this is where um, I, I feel we should be our own advocates as well. Uh, I don't want to generalize it to the entire uh, gender here, but I, for one, uh, tend to, to kind of uh, let my work speak for itself and that is not always the the fastest way to being recognized um, so yeah word of encouragement for uh, for young women would be uh, just to humbly uh, uh, self-promote and put themselves out there it's important no absolutely and, and that's one of the the piece of advice that that I hope we can kind of get out today, right? And, and, you know, in my experience as well, right? Early in my career, and um, apparently I was earlier in my career than even Heather, so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it was, it was that thing where I needed to, to know, or I, I felt at the time that I needed to conform 
right? And um, you know, my my absolute favorite quote, and and it wasn't one that really sunk in and and um, embedded itself in terms of how I. I present myself moving forward is that, you know, Dr. Seuss, why fit in when you were born to stand out, right? And, um, and I found very early in the traditional energy industry that I felt I needed to conform a little bit and it's only probably in the last 10 or 15 years that I've really decided that, no, I, it should be me and I should be able to show my authentic self when I'm at work and I don't need to try to hide or or be a little less of me to be able to fit in and um, and so I think that that's one thing that we really can can work towards especially for young women entering um, entering energy industries or entering um, any industry is you know accept who you are and be your authentic self and don't feel like you have to hide parts of yourself as you're as you're working in your career because I think all that does is hold us back yeah I totally agree and I mean you guys have made exceptional points and I think the one around the diversity of mentorship sort of your your tiers of, of support that you need mentors can be anywhere and I think we we forget that that they can be in your personal life in you know some extracurricular activity you have or your kids have or they can be in your workplace they can be outside of your own workplace and I think for women it comes back to what you're saying about we're just a little different we're built a little different we feel a little different and and even within the gender there, there's great diversity and so I think it's okay to say um, I don't have time for maybe what looks and feels like a normal mentorship or networking relationship, but let it organically happen. And, and sometimes those informal organic relationships are more important than some of the formal networking, coaching, mentoring that might happen within your organization or a networking organization or women groups that are fundamental and really important to drive change. But we also have to fit them into our, our regular lives which can be busy we have all got children sitting in in this panel and we I, I was at two dance competitions and <laughs> a music festival and a ring at tournament this weekend so it can, it can be very busy to fit in what maybe looks and feels like this box so so you know again fit it into to how we how we work and how we live it, it's great to see that you all have children and have families and as a younger professional earlier on in my career I don't have children yet and I think that's one of the things that's kind of crossed my mind is for a number of different reasons um, I don't have children one of them being oftentimes younger generations are having to choose between having children and having a career and moving up um, in industries is that something that is still prevalent today um, and has have you had to work through those challenges and um, did, was that something that ever crossed your mind and did you find it hard to come back after having children? Thank you for that question Isabella. Uh, you, you might have noticed I became a little bit emotional as, as you were going through, uh, through that. It, it is a very personal choice and the timing, um, the, how you prioritize in, in life, uh, you know, it is your, everyone's prerogative. In, in my situation, I can only speak from my perspective, um, I became a mom before um, launching my, my professional career. It happened actually while I was still a graduate student and, th you know, it wasn't the easiest um, uh, period uh, of, of my life, but it was 
oddly enough, one of the most rewarding. I was extremely sleep deprived, uh, <laughs> figuring out what motherhood is, uh, and uh, you know, double. Uh, double duty there with with the twins and while in the background I was still thinking about my research question <laughs> so I figured after uh, going through that I can tackle on um, everything I uh, then stepped into um, the academia um, and then in the energy sector uh, and, and that was uh, challenging because my, my children were were very young and still demanded a lot of my attention um, and when I had my third, I was well into to my career there and at, at TC, and I was a little bit concerned. The company was going through uh, some form of business transformation. I wasn't sure what, uh, what uh, the organization is going to look like when I come back from, from, from mat leave. Um, and uh, I actually returned a little bit early because of that. I wanted to show that form of commitment to the company. Um, in hindsight, it's probably not the wisest choice. Uh, I made. Uh, I was so sleep deprived. My uh, my third child proved to be a very difficult sleeper. So I was very, very sleep deprived in those uh, three four months after coming back. Um, and it should, uh, I guess, one word of, of wisdom that that I have. Um, Self-reflect on your priorities, on uh, make that decision when it feels right for you, your personal circumstances, and know that work will always be there. And you have the opportunity in, in life and throughout the career to, to kind of restore that balance and, and build up. But yeah, for me, it was never a choice. I wanted to be a mom more than, than anything else. Yeah, I, I love your advice. I think, I think that the messages are about make your personal choice because it's your personal journey and your story. And, and not surprisingly, all three of us probably have a very different story of how we got to where we are. And um, I, I think that the big thing for me would be recognizing that um, it's okay to be patient. It's okay to make your own choice that looks and feels a little different than someone else's. So my journey was a little different. And, and, and we need to tell these stories so that then people can see, oh, that's a little bit like how I look and feel. And this one looks like me because you, you sound incredible, like you're a superwoman doing a master's and raising twins. And, and so that people need to see that story reflected back in them if they're in that situation um, because... The, the life path is not set out when we're eight. I didn't say I'm going to be a chief operating officer at a clean tech company when I was eight, for sure. So um, it, it, it twists and turns all the way. Uh, so my story was a little different. I was probably 10 years into my career when I met my, my partner and uh, I was living abroad in the UK and uh, had no cares in the worried, worried world. I didn't own a property. I didn't own a car. I just traveled and did what I wanted and was very selfish and it was lovely. Um, and then we got married, returned, and so I was sort of uh, not quite at the midway of where I am now. But I was a different kind of professional. I was probably a bit more confident. I was a bit more uh, understanding that there were other opportunities that would probably come my way. So when I had my children I, I did maybe a little bit of a different uh, scenario where I said, you know what, this is my priority right now. I'm going to take my full mat leave and then a little bit extra. And if you would like me to return, I would love to return and contribute, but it's going to look and feel differently and, and I'm going to give you 
what I would like to give you, which is half of my time for, for a period of time. And I did that for about 10 years of my career as I took that uh, different prioritization and flexibility. But I was so lucky that I had these incredible champions and, and incredible people around me that let that happen, recognize the value and the, and the long game. I think I talked about that earlier. So, so what's important that we tell these stories, that we normalize those decisions, that we show up as leaders and say, those are important decisions for you to make and I support you in those decisions. Uh, and the more we talk about it, the more people realize it's not a scary thing to ask for, to, to, to say, I love what I do professionally, but I also love being a parent and it shouldn't be. To your question, Isabella, I, I would love everybody who, you know, if, if that's a pathway they want to go down, that we do everything to support them in getting there. So, thank you, Heather. Yeah, and my story, my story is yet different again, as, as Heather had, had suggested. Um, you know, the, the pressure around having to choose was one that, that I personally felt uh, as an engineer in a primarily male-dominated career. Um, you know, I... I also was, you know, well, ten years into my career before I had my my first child, and and that was because it, there was this um, external pressure and, and probably internal pressure as well of, you know, I need to get to a certain point in my career. I need to get my PNG. I want to get to that first leadership position so that I, I then am in a position where I can come back set and I can up for and set myself up for success. And and even doing all of that it didn't necessarily work. I, I went on my first mat leave and when I came back, the organization wanted to put me in a position working for the individual who replaced me when I left on my mat leave. Um, so then I was in a situation of, well, that's not really a good fit for me. I don't want to do that. And uh, so I had to find another position for myself within the organization when I was coming back. So there I was on mat leave dealing with a child at home and trying to figure out where I wanted to be. And so, you know, there's very good stories of, you know, fabulous um, champions and organizations that would support you and there also are those ones where you kind of have to pave your own way and unfortunately I, I had to do that in my career. Um, I think that through all of that I found my way into good positions where, where I could contribute and, and I felt valued but um, there was definitely a lot of um, distress anxiety that that kind of all came with having to having to do that that I didn't have that champion that was looking after me when I went through that position um, not that I would give up that choice um, love love the dual jobs that I have of of parent and and engineer but um, but yeah there definitely were a few hiccups in my road and it came at a time when Let's be honest, you're not, it's fundamental change in, in who you are. You're raising a little person and you're emotional and you're, you're changing and adapting to this new life you have and the added stress, as you say, of where am I going to work, who am I going to work for, what am I going to do, is something that, that we can't burden young people with. And, and, you know, to your point, Isabella, it's not just a, f a female issue. We were talking about this when we had a bit of a break to say, it's also the, the, the men who are choosing to have families. We have to support them in their decisions and it might be that they're the ones that want to take a step back, that they're the ones that want to take the, the paternity leave that's available to them. And 
I think as organizations, we need, it's our obligation to show that this is all possible, that it's normalized, that, that we support each person in their decision, um, or the, the decision not to have children, but there's different opportunities that are available to those people as well. So um, it, it's about being uh, supportive of, of pathways no matter what. I think that's, that's really fundamental. I think it's recognizing the the diversity between all of us and that we have to allow individuals to represent their own personal choices and it might not, as, as leaders, it might not be the choice we want to make but we need to support our staff in terms of and how they how they want to, to drive their careers. Going back to the point I made earlier, it's about having that balance between uh, the work life and the personal life and enabling that, uh, you know, the, our staff to flourish on a personal level, giving them the flexibility. Uh, it is essential so then they can also put their, you know, um, full uh, capacity and, uh, at, um, and demonstrate their full potential at work. I think that's what empowers uh, staff and um, that's definitely what has empowered me throughout my, my career. Amazing. That's very helpful. And I love the notion that a career is not linear. Um, we all work in innovation one way or another, and innovation we all know is not linear either. And, you know, thinking back to a time when, you know, either you were in school or um, you could give some advice to others who are starting their careers um, in STEM, what would that one piece of advice be? One piece of advice. That's a great question. Um, for me, it's around what do you want your career to be, and what uh, what will make you love what you're doing. And so that one piece of advice probably is three pieces. If if I look at it, um, loud. One is I, I, I can give three. Awesome. Yeah. They all tie together and they, they create a nice little package. Um, you know the the first one is absolutely find out what it is that you love to do and find a position and a career that lets you do what you love to do. The second one is find that job or that career with a group of people that you love to work with because you spend eight hours of your 24 hours of every day, um, except weekends, thank goodness, um, <laughs> with, with those people, right? And so, you know, you need to make sure that you like the people that you work with. And then the third one is, again, coming back to some of the other themes that we've already talked about. Make sure you have those leaders, those champions, those, those mentors that are there to support you. And I think if you can have those three bring together that trifecta that um, you can be successful in absolutely anything that you want to do. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's hard to follow that because that's <laughs> exceptional advice and covered a lot, all the bases. I would say, to your point, Isabella, about not being linear, I'm a perfect example of that, that I've come into clean tech, I feel, uh, in a side door, not in, a <laughs> not in an elevator. Um, and I would say be open to those opportunities. They, they do come, mm -hmm. and so I think it's, it's easy to panic earlier in your career and think, oh gosh, I'm not going to get this next opportunity, or, or there's not going to be a better job than this one, or I don't want to quit this job, which is maybe not what I love doing, or it's, it's got elements of it that are, that are not great for me as a person or a professional, but I, I'm worried there isn't anything better out there. Just be open 
to adapting, being flexible with your skill set that, that I think I said it before, clean tech needs everybody from all walks of life. And so particularly um, think about how can I just get myself the best set of skills that I can, I can be um, valuable to all kinds of organizations, all kinds of different mandates, all kinds of different twists and turns uh, because you are valuable. You need to show up with passion, with authenticity, and with a, a, a commitment to making the world a better place. And then you'll fly. <laughs> now it's even harder to follow. <laughs> um, but I'll attempt. So building on uh, the authenticity, um, 100% agree. Uh, be yourself, be authentic. Uh, stay true to your values. Stay true to your passion. I think that's, uh, you know, an advice I often give uh, to my daughters as well. Uh, find something you're you're passionate about, and then you're going to excel at it. Um, the other thing I would advise uh, young women starting a, a career in clean tech, STEM, energy transition would be persevere. You know, you're not going to get it from the first try, but don't abandon ship. Um, back to, to uh, the, the theme and the <laughs> metaphor that we used earlier. Um, and also, don't be afraid of the unknown. Sometimes uh, approaching unknown with, with humility, with a uh, dose of curiosity and, and optimism, you may be even surprised of what you'll, you're able to accomplish or the strengths you discover in, in yourself. Um, and if uh, that unknown uh, may result in a failure, don't be afraid of failure. Uh, build upon that, you know, draw the, the lessons learned. And um, I would also say reach out, um, reach out, build that network. Um, you've heard from my esteemed uh, panel members, we're all available, you know where to find us. Reach <laughs> out for that advice. Um, it is extremely important to uh, to be comfortable to ask for, for help or advice, or if you don't know where to start, uh, we're here. So uh, that sums it up for me. No, and that's great. And I think I just want to touch on the, um, you know, if you don't think that a position is necessarily within your chosen career path or within that, you know, idea that you have laid out for the next five years, still take it because you can learn anything in all opportunities and an example of this was when I had first come out of graduate school um, I took a job with Statistics Canada but it was working with indigenous communities on the census now it was a very short opportunity but I learned the most and it was one of the best opportunities that I had ever gotten I learned I learned and I listened and um, you know you never know what opportunities will surprise you so uh, that is one that um, really stuck out for me and I'm sure everyone has something like that where it, it, you know it was something a little bit different than they had envisioned but still very very meaningful um, you know we talk about the journey and we talk about how everyone's journey is a little bit different and um, we talk about how you know you need that support group you need those layers of support um, changing you know 
your perspective when you come to an organization versus personal life and finding that balance between both. And I think, you know, it's great to hear that it is a journey and we are all still on that journey. And we've had quotes from Dr. Seuss, we've had quotes from Star Wars and references to um, others, but I would like to add a, an adapted quote from J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, actually, where you can step out your front door and if you don't keep your feet, who knows where you'll be swept off to. And I think, you know, it's an important quote to, to me at least because it, it is that journey um, and you'll be going on that journey and how you get to the the end doesn't almost doesn't matter going back to what, what we said initially um, it's that journey and I think if there was um, one thing that you are all excited about in the near term um, and then we'll maybe leave it at that what would that be what are you most excited about in the coming year Wow um, that one is a, definitely a good question. I'm not sure if I want to start on that one. Um, what am I excited about in the next year? So there, it's, it's hard to decide, right? There's so many things that are going on. And again, we've talked about it in the, the work balance, the life balance, kind of how, what, what things are, are, are exciting us in, in a number of different things. And, um, you know, from a, a work perspective, I've got an absolutely fabulous initiative that I'm working on and just so excited to, to see that coming into, into fruition. And um, so on that side of things, um, you know, looking at bringing together a, a group of individuals uh, to start looking at the opportunity really to have small modular nuclear reactors here in Alberta. And so that is um, definitely my, my passion project that I'm, I'm working on at, at, at work right now. Um, on the home front, um, again, my, my children are getting older. My oldest son is going to be done grade 11 this year, and this will be our probably our last big family vacation. And so um, we're actually heading over to Japan for the summer and um, looking very forward to that, but yet also very anxious about it because not a, not a, none of us speak a single word of Japanese. <laughs> and, um, and so, and it's that exploring a brand new culture. And and, and I think that, you know, we touched on it from a business perspective throughout the conversation here that, you know, get those different experiences so that you can differentiate yourself. And, and uh, for me, it's, it's a huge step outside of my comfort zone to, to go and experience another culture that is so different from ours. And so really excited about that and about stretching myself to, to really have that, that opportunity and that exposure. Excellent. Um, I like the indulgence of the work and the, and the personal, so I'll, I'll do the same. On the work front, I think there's a couple things that excite me. One is that I don't actually know what's going to happen in a whole 12 months, so that keeps me excited because I do feel like we've got a lot of, um, uh, you know, just curveballs thrown our way, and I think that's what keeps me excited and passionate. But equally what excites me is that we have an amazing team. We've grown exponentially over the last couple of years. We've just hired some incredible people augmented by the existing people like Isabella who've been around for years and this opportunity to 
do some things that we haven't been able to do because of bandwidth or you know different priorities and so I'm just really excited to see what the team's going to come up with that that is um, furthering and advancing technologies and spending money on clean tech and and it's I think there's never been a more pivotal time to embrace the earth and our, our role in it so I'm excited about that on the personal front I'm I'm equally doing an exciting I'm taking a mini career break in the summer I I uh, was 25 years working in January and I decided I needed to get off the treadmill for a minute and so I'm I'm taking my daughters to Europe for the summer uh, so not quite as um, maybe outside of my comfort zone from a culture or a language perspective although I don't speak much French Italian <laughs> or Danish or Norwegian so I, I guess it is out of my comfort zone as well but just taking that moment to invest in myself and invest in my family uh, I've really prioritized that for this year so I'm very much looking forward to taking a bit of a slowdown and and spending that time being maybe a bit reflective which we don't get the luxury of doing at times so so inspirational. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'm going to tackle the, the, this question the, the same way both of you did. Uh, on the work front, um, it's all about the journey. And when I embark in a new position, um, and I'm in relatively a new position at, at TC, um, I like to, to make it my own and so it's really exciting to see what this, that space looks like um, now that I'm responsible for the enterprise-wide climate policy developments and we have operations in across North America and so there's a, a lot of movement in the climate policy space right now um, not only in Canada but also uh, very excited to see uh, developments in, in the United States with the Inflation Reduction Act uh, as well as some um, state-level carbon uh, pricing policy. So Washington State, New York just announced as well, Cap and Invest. So very, very exciting from that perspective. And obviously Mexico um, stepping, uh, their, stepping up their, their cap and trade program from the pilot phase. Um, we are also uh, working on several projects at, at TC. And so really excited to see what that uh, next big investment in um, that clean tech decarbonization space is going to look like. We certainly have many irons in, in the fire, so that's um, what keeps me motivated every day there. On a personal um, personal front, we're looking forward to camping this summer. Uh, we took a break from camping and now we decided we're fully committed to it again. It's a great opportunity to, to bond uh, with the children, to create those precious memories. So looking forward to to enjoying nature um, here in, in Alberta. Amazing. Well, thank you, panelists. This has been fantastic. Um, you've all given us some great insights, great feedback on each of your journeys, and um, they will continue. And I can't wait to do this again in another five or 10 years to see where, where we are, all are. And um, yeah check out our other Carbon Coffee podcasts to learn more about our projects and uh, about what ERA is doing. But um, for sure, check out Alberta Innovates and TC Energy. All of us have uh, some exciting projects, exciting initiatives on the go. And um, thank you all again for your time. This was fantastic. And congratulations on being profiled um, as some of the leaders uh, in the space and moving the energy transition forward. Thank you, thank Isabella. Thank you, Isabella. Yeah, thank, thank you, you, Emissions Reduction Alberta, for um, promoting this dialogue.